Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the director of the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. The world needs the gospel and we're doing all that we can to bring it to them. To learn more about our work and where you can contribute to this mission, go to www.traincpe.org, traincpe.org, or breadoflifeboise.org. And now to God's Word. Today begins a message drawn from our archives on 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1-5. through 5. The audio has something to be desired, but the practical call to learn as a church how to worship is essential for ourselves. The season we've recently passed through has caused many to step away from regular participation in the gathered body of Christ. The first thing we're going to learn from our passage is that worship in the local church requires two things. We must commit to meeting together, to being together, and in that together place we must appreciate and express the multiple giftedness that the Spirit gives to His body. Let me exhort you just now, for the sake of Christ's worship, get back to your fellowships. Paul writes, following having written on the whole topic of love being the most excellent way, after having written in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians on the expression of the gifts within the body being used for the purpose of unity and service of one another, he writes, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. The word there is to be spiritual, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you all prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. If you read throughout the New Testament, you'll see at different times that the Lord talks about the gifts that he gives us through the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts are gifts that are given to us as extensions of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When the Lord Jesus died for our sins and rose again from the grave and then ascended into heaven, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that at that time he gave gifts to men. And the primary gift he gave us was the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is another Christ living and abiding within us. And the Holy Spirit comes to then dispense into our lives expressions of the life of Christ. And those expressions of the life of Christ take shape, among other ways, in the shape of gifts. The gifts are manifestations or expressions of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives in unique ways that are specially designed for each individual. And yet as we bring them all together, we have a complement of the life of Christ among us being expressed in those gifts. Some of them are expressive of not only the nature of Christ within us, but His work and also His intended purpose for us. And so when these gifts are operating, they turn our eyes to Christ and they turn our eyes in anticipation to Christ to what He's doing and what He will do. He does that for us. There are expressions that all of us should have, some of them, not all of them. Some of the gifts are very much unique to a certain work or ministry. And so you have, for example, the gift of tongues that we just spoke about. And that was given uniquely to a certain individual. And even the gift of prophecy, even though the fact that Paul says, I wish you all prophesied meant something, it meant they didn't all prophesy. It was a gift that was just 
given to certain individuals, but the benefit of it then was shared to all. It's a little bit different with tongues. It wasn't shared with everyone. That was a unique gift that was to be assigned to the unbelieving world around them. So there are those gifts, but then there are other gifts that are meant to be, that the Spirit gives to individuals. It's like an intensification of the work of Christ in a person's life in a specific area, and they're meant to set the mark and be a note of inspiration for the rest of the body to follow in. So the Bible talks about, for example, the gift of mercy. Now, if I had recognized that one individual in our church uniquely has the gift of mercy, I cannot say, therefore, I don't have to express mercy to anyone in my life. They actually inspire me. They encourage me to be merciful. And there are people who have the gift of faith. This is a person who has been given a unique endowment of the Holy Spirit to trust and believe God's word for specific issues in their lives or matters that are addressing the church as a whole. And Well, we don't look at that person and say, now, we need you to have faith for us. We're not required to exercise. No, their life and that clear note of faith in their life is to encourage us to step into the slipstream of their example and follow them. You know, one of the gifts that God is identified as giving to members in the church is the gift of celibacy. Now, most of us haven't wanted that gift. I've thought about that. What would the gift of celibacy be for? Well, Paul talks about the fact that when a person is married, they have a lot of troubles and trials in their life. It also says that when they're married, they turn their attention away as to how to please their spouse. That's what their focus is. But that's not the case with the person who's not married. That person can, it says, turn his focus to how they might please the Lord. The relationship that kind of gets somewhat distracted from our singular focus on Christ as it's poured into our spouse and our children and all those affairs, that doesn't happen with the person who has the gift of celibacy. Their life can be a life in which they are just drawing completely upon the Lord Jesus. They are experiencing, in a sense, the same relationship we have with them, but a much, maybe more clear way that he is their husband, he is their provider, he is their companion, he is the one that their heart goes to constantly. He's the only one that they have to really focus on and pleasing and serving and satisfying. Now, are we supposed to live in that way ourselves? Well, yes. And they become a wonderful gift to the church and a model to the church. And so God gives gifts to the church in order to pour out expressions of the nature of Christ among us in different unique ways to encourage us all and also gifts that are meant to singularly be held by individuals but all of them for basically two purposes to edify the individual or the members of the body of Christ together and to exalt the person of Jesus Christ among us so in chapter 12 Paul spends some time talking about the gifts and the need for them to be expressed within the body then he goes on to express but so that you don't put favoritism upon a gift, make sure that all of these gifts are submerged into a greater desire, and that is that you learn to love one another. I have to tell you something. You cannot practice the instructions that are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you cannot practice the instructions found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 unless we're together with one another. You cannot express it attending and just thinking of yourself as an audience. Somebody who comes and just gets a note of inspiration for yourself and dismisses themselves. No, there has to be within the body of Christ, if these things are true that Paul is saying, and they are, there has to be a commitment. There almost has to be a determined decision, our part, to come to be together and with one another together, to learn and discover and experience the unique, manifold ways in which Christ displays himself through His gracious bestowment of gifts 
as they work their way through the individuals bound together, seeking together to worship the Lord Jesus. That's what Paul has been talking about. Let me say one other thing about the gifts, and uh, I think I've already said it, but look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and let me read to you verses 27 through 31. Paul writes this, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, in the gathering. That's what the church really means, the assembly. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Now there he's speaking about different kinds of gifts. Some of these gifts are office gifts. There are offices that we've received. Others of these are gifts that are expressed in just the very nature in which men live among one another and unique to the individual. He writes this then. Are all prophets? What's the answer to that? No. Are all apostles, I should say? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way? And then he is going to go into and speak about this whole issue of love, this agape love that Christ wants to pour within us. But the thing that we'll notice here, I just want to make one note about what we've just read, and it's this. Nobody in the church has all of the gifts, and no gift is expressed by all of the people. There's not one gift that all of us have together, and there's not one person who has all of them. Uh, We're all having separate gifts, and all of these are to be brought together in one place and to be exercised as a way of building up one another. Now, what happened in the church of Corinth is they had this desire to be thought of as spiritual individuals. In their pursuit to be thought of as spiritual individuals, and I've mentioned this before, when God gives you a God-given ability, God also gives you a desire to excel in that ability. That's human nature. And God has given us a spiritual nature along with all the various gifts of attributes that we have as human beings. One of our attributes is we're spiritual beings. And so, as a result, human beings actually aspire to be spiritual. That's all right. That's good. And the Corinthians wanted to be spiritual as well. But they had identified spirituality, the ability to somehow measure their spirituality in an inappropriate way. They had locked into the gifts And in particular, they had locked into one of the gifts. And all of them aspired after that gift. And that was the gift that was being exalted in the church at Corinth. In fact, to some extent, it was running rampant. And it wasn't under control. And it wasn't being expressed with proper order. So Paul writes now, after having said what he said about coming under the lordship of Christ and coming together to serve, and using your gifts, and then speaking about love, now Paul is actually drawing into the topic that really is at hand in this issue of gifts. The one gift they exalted was the gift of tongues. I've thought about this. You know, there are things that we have to do as parents. There are things that we have to do in the church. Oftentimes we have to be engaged in issues of discipline, where we come and we have to give correction. I don't like to do that. There's not one time that I've ever taken pleasure in disciplining any of my kids. There are times within the life of the church when there's a brother or sister that's falling astray and we have to go and address it and confront it. I don't take pleasure in those as well. In fact, I'm almost dragged to it by a sense of my responsibility. We're dragged to those things, but it's not something we want to do. I think, in a sense, that's how it is for Paul as well. As I've been working through 1 Corinthians, there's all these wonderful truths that Paul 
speaks of, and oftentimes he breaks off like he does in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 into almost poetic praise. But I would think if you were to ask Paul what were the favorite letters that he ever wrote to the church, 1 Corinthians would not be on the top of the list. I would think 1 Corinthians would be back there quite a ways because it's filled with a lot of discipline and issues that he needs to confront. And so a lot of individuals, when they think about what passage of Scripture or what book they want to do a series on in their church, avoid 1 Corinthians once they read through it, particularly when they come to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You know, oftentimes when I work on a sermon throughout the week, I can't wait to get to church on Sunday. I just want to share with you what I'm learning and what God's putting in my heart. I can't say that that's how I was feeling this week at all. But here we are. So you pray for me. Let's pray that God would give us some wisdom and understanding in this passage. And we're going to talk about this gift of tongues. I've just mentioned to you that Paul talks about this gift, or he refers to it. He doesn't give much detail about it in chapter 12, and he refers to it without much detail in chapter 13. The most detail we have in all the Bible about tongues is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I want to share with you all the other passages in Scripture. I want us to look at them all, so we're going to take some time. We'll have to go through this quickly. All the other passages in Scripture where tongues is addressed. First, in Mark chapter 16, verse 17. I want to direct you now to a different website at the end of our broadcast than I usually do. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 commands that the Christian test themselves to see if they're in the faith. In answer to this command, and with the desire to bring Christians into a sound and true assurance of saving faith, we've developed a website and a book for this purpose. Go to savingevangelicals.com and take the test and order the book by the same name, Saving Evangelicals. I can't think of a more important book for our day. Again, thanks for listening to The Bread of Life. Until the next time, may God bless you.